Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that focuses on topics related to English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. This episode is the culmination of our In This Together docuseries, where we follow five EL program directors from around the country to explore the challenges they face and how they're overcoming them. Over the course of the series, we've been chronicling the work EL educators are doing to provide equitable educational experiences to students in virtual, blended, and face-to-face instructional settings. Listen as our five panelists from around the country discuss how they have overcome their biggest challenges this school year, what their plans are for the second half of the school year, the silver linings they've uncovered along the way, and much more. As always, we are committed to keeping you informed and inspired with resources to help you support your English learners. If you'd like to find more information or contribute to this series, check out our ELL community page at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. And remember that Elevation has two L's. Also, another reminder that you can subscribe to Highest Aspirations wherever you listen to podcasts so you know when new episodes are released. Please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. This will help us get the word out about this free resource for educators. As always, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this unique episode with five great guests from around the country. Stay safe and take care of each other. I'm happy to introduce Steve from Elevation, everybody's favorite guy. Um, So please, Steve, take it away and uh, looking forward to this next session. Thanks, Maya and Ben and everybody who has had a hand in putting this together. It's been amazing. I've been um, lucky enough to join as a participant for the last uh, three or four sessions that we've had, and it's really been great. If you haven't seen any of those, uh, I would recommend checking out the recordings. Um, But I'm here today to bring in um, our panelists from the In This Together docuseries, which started back in late August. Um, And we brought in the five wonderful people that you see here from very different districts throughout the country in different contexts to talk about the triumphs and challenges that uh, that we've been experiencing as EL educators throughout the course of this year. Um, so this is really about them and their experiences, but also about the shared experiences that all of you are having. So a little different than the other sessions that we've had. This is a panel style discussion. There won't be any slides, but we're hoping that this conversation um, helps amplify some of the voices of the people who are in our panel and also helps us kind of come together to, uh, to, to maximize the impact on our, on our students. So I'm going to start uh, by doing something that, that can be a little bit risky, and that is introductions. But uh, everybody knows uh, on the panel, we've talked a lot that we're going to be brief here. So uh, I just want to start, and I'm going to ask everyone to just introduce themselves really quickly. Um, I'd like, love to hear uh, just your name, um, where you're coming to us from, um, and your current role. And then we'll get into the specific questions. This is just in case folks have not seen the In This Together docuseries or heard the podcast. So I'm going to go in order for the people that we see. And the first one I see is Juan Corona. So if you'd kick us off there, that'd be great. Hello, everyone. My name is Juan Corona. I am the bilingual director for Maywood School District 89. We are just outside of Chicago. Um, we are full remote uh, at the moment. Thanks, Juan. Let's go to Dr. Adrian Johnson. Hello, Steve, and hello to the other fellow panelists. It's good to see you all together. And uh, my name is Adrian Johnson. I'm the superintendent of Hearn ISD in Hearn, Texas. And we are all three. We're remote, we are in-person, as well as hybrid. Thank you, Dr. Johnson. Let's go to Rowena Mack. Hi, everyone. My name is Rowena Mack. I'm the district coordinator for services for English learners. 
at Saddleback Valley Unified School District, which is in South Orange County in Southern California. And we have hybrid and distance learning for our students this year. Thank you so much. Lynn Maracolon. Hi, everyone. I'm Lynn Maracolon, your family. So I'm Lynn Colon for all of you. I am the director of English Learner Programs and Services for Prince William County. And we are in Northern Virginia, a little outside of, of Washington, D.C. And um, just like one of our colleagues said, we are all three. We have students in person. We have some that are in a concurrent uh, model and also um, virtual. Thank you, Lynn. And let's go to Vicky Saldala. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Vicky Saldala. I'm the director for the bilingual ESOL department in Broward County, Florida, uh, which is in flooded Fort Lauderdale right now. Uh, we are the sixth largest district in the nation. We serve 32,000 English language learners and about 270,000 students. Uh, we are currently offering e-learning, um, you know, home if students are, are choosing to stay at home or through the brick and mortar. So one mode of learning, but for students at home and students at school. Thanks, everybody. Now you know a little bit about our five panelists. I'll just very quickly introduce myself, Steve Sofronis. I'm the community marketing manager here at Elevation. Um, I was a high school Spanish teacher for about 17 years before joining this wonderful team here at Elevation. So uh, it warms my heart to speak with educators who are working with some of our most vulnerable students. And again, feel very lucky to be doing um, this panel. I want to encourage everybody to use that Q&A um, feature. If you have questions, I have a, a selection of questions that I'm going to ask. And of course, we've already asked these panelists a whole lot of questions in the almost 20 interviews that we've done um, up until this point. And we'll share that later. But please feel free to ask any questions. My team will monitor those and we can get to those as we go. So I want to start off um, and I'll kind of call out um, members of the panel to, to start these questions, and then we'll be able to hopefully build on some answers, um, and we'll see how many we can get through in the next um, four, 53 minutes or so. Um, what? So let's start off with the biggest challenge that, uh, that you all are facing. As the school year has progressed here, we've talked about this before, and how have you gone about um, resolving it? And I'm going to start by kind of choosing people to go, and I'm going to choose the people that I haven't talked with in the longest time. And I think Rowena, maybe we, I think you, it's been a while since we've chatted with you. So mm -hmm. what's been your biggest challenge? How have you gone about resolving it so far? It would have to be how we go about ensuring that high quality instruction and supports are still in place for English learners. I think it's very tempting to um, kind of dismiss the needs of certain student groups and just kind of scapegoat it to what's going on these days. But we have to be persistent in making sure that we sustain that work and making sure that ELs are getting the high quality learning that they need and that they deserve. So how we've gone about doing that is doing really a lot of curriculum development and professional development, probably more than we've ever done before. Uh, doing that virtually, doing ELD office hours, and doing a lot of side-by-side -side work with teachers as they kind of explore how to go about doing that. Yeah, and you and I have talked a lot about that and the evolution of it. And if you listen to some of our conversations, it's something that you have been both very transparent um, and very serious about, about making sure that that, 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 uh, that, that happens. Um, Lynn, I'd like to go to you because it's been a little while since we've chatted as well. Anything to add there? Would you agree with Rowena? Is there a different challenge that you want to express? 
I would agree. And, you know, for, for me, what's in the front is the new teachers, our new um, ESOL teachers. And um, by this time, I would have been in a lot of their classrooms. So again, uh, trying to schedule the Zooms and providing them the support because they just came out of school for most of them and they learned for a different setting. Uh, and now we're trying to put other supports in place uh, but I, I'm, I'm confident that we can make that happen, but they're my priority right now. Dr. Johnson, let's go to you from, from a superintendent standpoint, not only from a superintendent standpoint, but from the standpoint of a small district, a rural district, which we wanted to make sure that we represented here. And I'm sure that there are folks on who are in districts like that and listening to this. What has been your uh, biggest challenge in that context and how have you gone about sort of resolving it as, as we go on here? Well, the biggest challenge we've had is just making sure we stay connected with our students. One of the challenges we may have that some of the other districts that are in more urban and suburban areas is connectivity, especially when we were completely virtual. We started the year, 90% of our parents were surveyed. And of that 90%, 66% said they wanted their children to be working from home virtually. So it was an easy decision for us to make administratively, but the challenge was making sure we connected with our students. And then we have that rural population and many of our students and many of our ELs live in rural portions of our, of our county. And so making that contact was really important. And we just worked really diligently to find ways to work around the lack of connections and create other connectivities through uh, purchasing hotspots and setting up places around the district for parents to come and get connected. And they were starving for information. They really were, especially about school. They wanted to know what was going on. And so because we had a robust meal program going on that we were using, we made sure that the areas where meal pickups also included areas where Wi-Fi was available. And so that's where we really strengthened our ability to connect with parents across the district during the most, uh, difficult times. We have about 160 students that are EL and we made more connection doing that and, and through a few of our in-person meetings that we practiced great social distancing and made sure we had people around who could communicate with all languages that were present at those meetings. So that is how we worked through the first and most difficult challenge is making that connection because people wanted to know what was going on. And as soon as we can reassure them that we're all in this together, and we're going to get out, get through it together. Uh, I think they responded real well to our effort. Yeah, family engagement has definitely seen a spotlight, you know, in the lot, and we've talked a lot about it in the series. Um, and also, Dr. Johnson, you mentioned something I think which is critically important. You know, you talk about the food disbursement, but then making sure that we actually use those opportunities to be able to connect with parents and families, and also to be able to um, solve any you know tech issues that we might have there. And you and I have talked a lot about that. And just for the record, you talk about how you have 160. Uh, English learners, but again, very small district, less resources than others. So, you know, sa same challenges as others. Uh, Juan and Vicky, I want to make sure you have an opportunity to chime in here. If you, if there's something that you'd want to say, Vicky, I see you just came off mute. Would you like to add something there? Sure. I think for us, just like Rowena, we've been challenged um, at our level as a district to help our teachers ensure that they're delivering content in a comprehensible manner for our English language learners. Uh, we just received the data, our first data measure which is the report cards for the first nine weeks and to see the astounding number of d's and f's that our english language learners 
uh, received on their report cards is of great concern to us. Um, and so now we are really putting our heads together to put together a plan on how do we move forward from that? Because one, we have to now help all those students recover the first nine weeks that they earned all those Ds and Fs and moving forward, how do we support our teachers to ensure that they are making content comprehensible for Ls? So it's a real challenge, um, not just for teachers. I mean, teachers are struggling and they are doing the best that they can. And I think Steve, we talked about this in our last session, you know, they look to us, but we also don't know the answers. We're navigating this also brand new. We look to webinars and professional development and national researchers and college professors who it's also new to. So it's really a ripple effect. We are like uh, Adrian just shared, we are all in this all together. We all have to put our heads together collectively. Yeah, that assessment piece is something that we've talked about a lot. And, and, and you know, Vicki, I've said it a thousand times, but I'm always impressed with your transparency and how you're willing to talk about the hard things, you know, the number of Ds and Fs. Juan, you and I have talked a little bit about assessment, but, you know, you, we stressed last time about your sort of concerns about the access test coming up. A bit bit of a curveball here in terms of a different kind of assessment, but where are you now in prep preparing for that? I know that logistically that seemed pretty difficult for you and you had some state I think protocols or state um, sort of rules that you need to follow to make that happen. Yeah, so our, our state, uh, they still want us to do the in-person assessment. Um, so I've been recruiting teachers to help me facilitate that. We have to follow all the CDC guidelines that we have, but um, just to ensure the safety of our students, but also all of our staff. Um, so it's just taking that extra precaution, making sure that, um, and this is if we come in, because you know, things are always changing. So to have a plan um, in place and then obviously have a backup plan. But I agree with what a lot of my colleagues have said that that, that being more intentional with professional development and, and in my district, we've been able to collaborate more so we can be more strategic about it. So, you know, looking at the, the language domains and how we can uh, help support all students, not, not just the ELs, but all students. Yeah, absolutely. And, and PD is something we've talked a lot about, and I think we'll probably get into a little bit later. I want to transition a little bit. We, we've kind of mentioned some of the challenges that you've already had, the challenges that you're facing in terms of things like administering the uh, access test in those WIDA states and any really any kind of um, large scale assessment is going to be a challenge. Um, but I want to shift over a little bit to kind of plans that you have in place, because I think we're at a point, and based on a lot of the conversations that I've had with you all, we're at a point now where we can begin to kind of plan a little bit for the future, tentatively, perhaps, and I'll, I'll let you kind of speak more to that. What plans have you been making as we approach, unbelievably, the second half of the school year um, to continue supporting uh, your, your English learners? Um, let's see, I'm going to start with Vicki on this one, if you don't mind. Sure, I think I alluded a little bit about that in my previous little session there. Um, we are putting our heads together to talk about what is the next level. So we've delivered all this PD, all these webinars since March, putting ideas out there. Uh, Broward County put together a public Canvas course that is open so that our parents can access it as well, that contains all types of tools that families can use, Immersive Reader, Google Translate, uh, Flipgrid, Nearpod. Here's access to all these tools that you can use to help the students while they're learning 
um, in this phase remotely. However, our next step is getting into those classrooms in this virtual environment, right? So even though our teachers are in the buildings, they are delivering their, they're delivering their lessons remotely, but from their classrooms. So what we're getting from our schools or our principals are, we need your teams to now kind of jump into these Canvas courses and help our teachers um, actually implement those strategies. What does it look like? So we're taking, we're using elevation strategies right now to help that, to help make that, right? So we're doing these little PD webinars. What is elevation strategies? How do you use it? Let's take hanging hashtags. Well, now, uh, Vicki, I'm going to jump into your classroom and we're going to do a little I do, we do, you do type of lesson. I'm going to model for you how to use a hanging hashtag in the lesson that you're doing. Next time we get together, we'll do one together and then I'll see you do it. So, you know, our, our principals are asking for more. We're beyond the webinars. Now we need to help these teachers understand how to um, implement the strategies in the lessons that they're doing. And again, new to us, we've never delivered it this way. Teachers are probably more advanced than we are at the district level because they're doing this daily. So a challenge to the team, but we're going to be able to do it because based on that DNF report, we have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, teachers struggled even when we were in person, we were in the old world. Uh, teachers struggled to include ELLs in their classrooms when they had, you know, 25, 30 students and you have two or three ELLs, those kids tended to just be given that busy work or partnered with, you know, with their buddy. Well, now in this environment, it is more of a challenge to our teachers and to our students. So really looking at that work and just taking it a little deeper. Yeah, I know. I just, I just happened to look at a comment and somebody mentioned that they love the idea of the public canvas resource. And I should say that Broward County, you all have done a really great job of putting stuff out there that's that's public, that parent university is, comes to mind. There's a lot of other things as well. And a lot of your districts are doing the same thing. A lot of what you were just talking about, Vicki, in terms of what your next steps are, um, reminded me of our conversations, Rowena, about what we need to do to make sure that ELD supports are in place. I'd love for you to kind of just piggyback on what Vicki said in terms of what your plans are for moving forward in the second half of the year. Sure. There are really two things that we wanted to kind of leverage as many districts. I'm sure in this um, webinar right now, you are allocated with CARES funds and additional funding. But what that funding required districts to do is to really be intentional on how they're developing their plans for certain student groups. And so here in California, that's called the Learning Continuity and Attendance Plan. And it specifically called out the work that districts need to do to support certain groups of students. So because it was there and we had already been doing a lot of great momentum with our MTSS, we leveraged both of those things to really uh, further develop our tier two academic interventions. So with that plan and with the funding, we've been able to get our diagnostic that we now were able to administer to all our students and using that information, then we were able to hire some additional tier two intervention teachers that are supporting students in those areas identified in the diagnostic. In the world of EL, we worked with our elevation team to develop a progress monitoring form that we ask all elementary teachers to complete. In the past, we were only using the progress monitoring for compliance purposes, but this time around, we ask all teachers to do it for all ELs. 
And we just got that data back. Um, and I promise Elevation didn't ask me to put this plug in, but it's really because of Elevation that we were able to use that data and all the other layers of data points to really pinpoint who are the students that need support. So from there, we were able to extract that information and there are two that are in development right now. One is an extended day for newcomers where if you're a newcomer student, which we defined as anyone who's been here for zero to two years and in the elementary level, we start with grade three to six, that we will invite you um, to complete your day with us in person because the kiddos are only doing it for either a.m. or p.m. But instead, if you fall into that group we've identified, we're going to ask you to stay and we're going to staff that either with instructional assistance or some other staff members so that there's some support for you in order to do your asynchronous independent learning work and you can get that support. So part of that time is there and part of the time is to provide you with some survival English skills, which you need as a newcomer. Um, and then we also are in development of what we're calling a EL homework hotline that will open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. So that at any time when parents at home with their, uh, with their kids as they're doing their independent learning work, if they are not understanding something, if they need to understand how to even access Google Classroom, they just need to really call that hotline, which is really a Zoom link. And there are designated teachers there in there to support them. Um, and again, because that needs to be scaled up, we're starting with a very specific group of students. And what we've identified from the data are those students that are at risk of being at risk and LTELs. So that's the group that we have. It's not quite as many as we want, but that's about 300 students that we've identified so far. And we can see where we can go from there then. At risk of being at risk. I like that. Catch, catch him early. Rowena, I, I feel like it wasn't that long ago that we talked, but a lot has happened. I'm glad that I um, that I asked that question. And Lynn, we haven't talked in a while either. So I want to make sure I give you an opportunity. Second half of the year, like what do you are similar plans in place or are you doing different things? Yes, our conversations are really focused around instruction. And um, I will say the other day we had a meeting with the department uh, leads and I was so proud of our team because it was based on problem of practice. What are we going to do to make sure that we provide students with what they're entitled to, which is rigorous quality um, instruction. So um, that's always good. And also assessing the impact of the professional learning that we have delivered by visiting um, uh, virtual, you know, virtually schools and sitting in our collaborative learning team meetings. Uh, you know, our staff is out there and they're doing what I call life together with our teachers. And yes, we have that quantitative data, but we're also being very intentional about gathering qualitative data, those conversations, right? And staying in tune with our teachers, with our families, because they're also letting us know how things are going from the home perspective. So I, I'm encouraged, um, you know, I'm, I'm here representing an amazing team who understands the vision, the urgency about what we need to, to be doing for our English learners and really inviting multiple people to the table to make us better because without collaboration, we're, we're not going to be able to move forward. But again, focus on instruction and what our kids need because we're back in school. It might be different, but we're back in school. 
Yeah, we actually, I, th I think we named one of our episodes, everyone gets a seat at the table, Lynn, and that was a great uh, sort of metaphor for the type of work that you're doing there. And I think it, it, it's reflected throughout the series, this this air of collaboration um, and working together, which sounds like so obvious and so cliche, but I think it's something that really, um, again, there's been, a, there's been a light shined on that, and we've seen um, a lot of really interesting and unique types of collaboration. Um, I, I'm going to go to... Uh, Dr. Johnson, again, I I I like that that you have we have a bit of a different point of view as a superintendent, um, and again, sort of representing that rural district. What are uh, you planning for now? What's kind of coming up next uh, in the for the second half of the year? Well, we just recently met to kind of discuss that actually today, uh, and not in preparation for this meeting, but in preparation for next year. And one of the things that we discussed, we took an inventory of where we are today with technology. I think it's really important that we don't know what the future is gonna hold, just like we didn't know we'd be here a year from now or a year ago in this situation. So uh, we wanted to make sure to do an inventory of where we are with technology and what do we need to do to strengthen our technology connections around the district and around the area. So we have a pretty good understanding of what we need to do as far as we're, we're currently pretty much one-to-one -one with all of our students. And that has really made a big difference. Even for the students that were remote, now when they come to school, they're sitting in our school and our cafeteria is filled in the morning with everybody with a device in their hand. And that just so much better than just sitting there talking and eating, and but they're actually engaged in lessons already from the moment they walk into the school. The second thing we're trying to do is we're, we're really anticipating and planning to have 90% or plus of our students back in in-person instruction. And we're really planning for that right now. And one of the things that we've noticed is that there's been a redistribution of, of support for our schools. We used to have a large number of retired teachers that would come up and do substitute or serve as interventionists or tutors for our teachers. And we've lost nearly every one of them because they're concerned about being around kids because of some of the underlying conditions many of them have. But we've also at the same time found a new group of potential employees and many of them we're finding are bilingual and we're actually promoting jobs right now for paraprofessionals that would want to come to work for us uh, in, that, in that capacity, especially if they were bilingual. Because that, that really helps our teachers and the parents be able to communicate throughout the year. And as we look to next year, to help with some of the problems my colleagues from around the state are talking about, the, the, the lack of performance of the slide the students are experiencing. We're confident we can get them caught up because we've been doing that most of our lively, professional livelihood, catching kids up, but it takes more time and more work to do that. So hopefully the technology that we've had to use this semester and we've put in our children's hands will be an asset, a greater asset to us next semester for extended classroom opportunities, Saturday school opportunities, those can be all based off of virtual classrooms with some of our premier teachers teaching these students to help them to get caught up with what they may have missed out on from the past semester and this part of the spring. So those are the things we're working on is trying to get additional staff on board to help our teachers because we just can't call substitutes like we used to. We, we're, there's a, we walk around with everybody, including me, maybe needing to be in a classroom to cover kids because we don't have that pool of subs we used to have. So we've got to retool our, our, our staffing. And I think there's been enough people who have moved from other jobs that have not been able to come back to help fill that void. So there's a 
redistribution and refocus on trying to get more people on board. And again, targeting anybody that could come to us and have the right credentials and the right attitude, and especially being multi-language, is just really beneficial to us right now. And that's gonna be a big dividend. And hopefully our students will benefit from the use of technology to help them get caught up. And our teachers will continue to master teaching both in person as well as what we call asynchronous with those students who still may be at home in this next semester. But if we were able to get a larger percent of our students in person, that would be a tremendous asset for us or gain for us to start of January or late, early February. Yeah, thanks for that, Dr. Johnson. You know, one of the things that you mentioned in that and that I've talked with other panelists about, I think specifically you, Juan, is the 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 pace at which you districts have been able to to go one to one to acquire technology for students. And now you're re- sort of in a, in a kind of forced way, um, students and teachers are sort of being forced to use this technology, really thinking ahead though, which it sounds like what, what a lot of districts are doing about how can this benefit us not only now, but as we move forward, knowing that those tools um, aren't going to go away. Quick side note here. Um, I want to let everybody know that there are a lot of questions coming up and I promise that we will get to those. I'll leave a good 15, maybe 20 minutes to, to answer those questions because the audience questions are the most important. So I want to let everybody um, know about that. So keep those coming. Um, I'm going to transition into the next question. And Juan, I'm going to start with you. Uh, but if you have anything to add on that second half of the year piece, please feel free to do so. There might actually be a bit of a, of a link between what I'm going to ask and that question now. What I want to talk about now is we've talked a lot about challenges now and in the series in general, but we've also highlighted a lot of silver linings. Um, in fact, many of our conversations and many of my colleagues, I know Teddy's in the line now, he said many times he's been surprised by just how much good has come out of these conversations. It hasn't all been gloom and doom. And that's largely a part uh, of just you all being passionate people who are surrounded by wonderful teams. But it also has to do that we're looking now at, okay, what can we learn from this and what can we take from this? You know, we've talked about family engagement, professional development, teacher collaboration, all have been mentioned today and all have been areas that we've seen improvements in. My question is, and Juan, again, we'll start with you, what what positive change do you think um, might remain in place when this is all over? And I think the second part of the question, well, I don't know when it's going to be all over. I don't, I don't know how do you say when things go back to normal, but when the pandemic is behind us and we're back to some sort of normal what do we need to keep in place? And I think, again, the most important part of the question is, what do we need to ins- to do to ensure that they stay in place? Juan, we'll start with you on that sort of, I don't know if I, fr- I hope I phrased that in a way that you can understand it. Sure. I think we've, uh, because of the situation we're in, we've been able to increase communication with our families. Uh, we've been connecting on different platforms, um, aside from the traditional phone call or the text. Now, uh, our teachers have utilized different platforms that our parents are logging in to uh, check for homework, uh, uh, log in for support. Uh, a lot of my families are also asking for um, to be trained on how to use the devices that they have um, or coming and asking for hotspots. So the technology uh, usage in our community is growing, which allows us to communicate um, at, at almost any time of the day with our with our families, um, but in that we need to provide them with training so that they can use it effectively and that that communication is two way. Um, our students pick up technology really quickly, so we have iPads for our students in kindergarten through second, and then we have Chromebooks third through eighth 
And uh, it just depends on the teacher on how they rolled out the school year on, on teaching them how to manage their device. Um, our students are pretty hands-on hands on, on learning the different uh, platforms and navigating through it. Um, some of them even are teaching our teachers how to use the devices. Uh, so that, that's great to see that uh, the students are taking it up upon themselves. But um, bridge, that, that family um, bridging that home, uh, the home and school has is, is been big and it's even bigger now. Uh, I know that one of the components that we talked about earlier uh, was uh, our parents are looking for uh, an outlet for social emotional needs. Um, so we're looking at, they've been approaching me, you know, we need this. Uh, being Hispanic myself, I, we tend to bottle things up and we know that's not great, especially going into the winter months. We want to make sure that we have different pathways for them to uh, reach, even if it's in the, within the community or if we can bring other resources for them to have that outlet for, for personal, but, but also just to help in general, to bring that community together. Yeah, Juan, so you mentioned communication with families and social emotional learning. And just a side note, you and I talked a lot. I was listening to the last episode that we did, and you and I talked a lot about winter is coming. You you <laughs> from Chicago and me in New Hampshire and thinking about what's going to happen when it gets dark. But it's not a small thing, right? I mean, that social emotional becomes even more important then because, you know, things are different. So, um, so, so yeah, those are two major topics that we've seen. Again, a spotlight on the communication with families and social emotional that we hope will stick with us. I'm going to try something. I'm, I'm going to try not to cold call. If, if, you, if any member of the panel wants to continue, just take yourself off mute and I'll call you. Rowena, you hit the, the Jeopardy thing fast there. Good job. Uh, yes, I did. I think that might have been by accident, but I'm here now, so I'm going to talk about it. I'm just kidding with you, Steve. You know, it's interesting. For many years, we've been you know, encouraging teachers to use technology. And um, this definitely forced many teachers, if not all teachers, to really utilize technology. But even within the context of English learners, so what I think will, what I hope will really kind of sustain is that intentional lesson design for English learners. That doesn't happen by accident or happenstance. You really need to understand your students. You need to understand your standards and you need to understand how you're gonna build in scaffolds for them. And there's some intentionality with that. Having that said, we know the importance of collaborative activities for our students and for them to really develop their oral language skills. And there have been many things with technology that they've been able to, to do that in their classes. And it's not just a matter of turn and talk to your neighbor kind of thing. There are ways for students to provide their input, to archive and to kind of really uh, follow their, their progress with that. So I think if we stay consistent in saying, hey, we've kind of, you know, um, um, started this already, we're going to continue with our message, follow the progress of teams and teachers, celebrate when student impact is happening, and make sure that you're sending the message that we're not just talking about this for the sake of surviving the pandemic. We're talking about this because this was always the important work, and this will continue to be the important work. Um, and now that we've kind of accelerated our progress and our work in it, it's just a matter of just, I think, just really keeping up with the consistency in working with teams and helping them see and celebrate those wins with students. 
Yeah, that's great. You And you started, I think, feel like you started talking about that with technology and using technology to help all students, but English learners, but your conversation quickly went to just how can we best help students? And so taking that backwards design um, of, you know, what, what can we best do to serve our students? And then what are the pieces of technology that we're familiarizing ourselves now that will get that done instead of chasing shiny objects? I'm going to put, I just put in the chat right now, I couldn't resist. I found a document from uh Dr. Gretchen Oliver and Karen Gregory spoke with us earlier in a previous session, and they just had a really great uh, one pager on tech tools that you could use for different, um, you know, things that you wanted to do with your students. And I just, I wanted to share it because it was on my mind when you were speaking, Rowena, and it's just really super useful. So thanks for that. Lynn, I see you just took yourself off mute and I, Vicky, you may have been first, but I'll go to Lynn, then I'll go to Vicky. Yes. And I, you know, I want to tap into something that um, Vicky had said that people are looking at us uh, for the answers. So what I will say, one of the good things that has happened with the collaboration is that uh, because they are looking for us to provide them with resources, we are able to build leaders of else. Uh, and that is always exciting because we know that we can have uh, a whole lot of resources, but at the end of the day, the school leaders and the teachers le leaders are the ones that are really launching this work and, and having uh, that first contact with our students. So uh, for me, that has been um, really, really good for us and also the family piece being able uh, to see families and to talk to them and doing what I keep saying, life together, sitting at the dinner table, not having them as guests, but as part of the dinner table, going beyond surveys, because we often seek feedback that we can quantify, but now we're having conversations about what it is uh, to, you know, do this in a virtual environment. Um, how, how does it feel to be new to this country? What are you looking for? How can we be better? And I think that moving forward, that is going to help our office be more intentional about what we do with our resources, with our time, uh, the professional learning moving forward. We've even had conversations about professional learning for our families uh, beyond the one that we have. Uh, we have the, the PEP program, but it has evolved in these months to the point where we've served more families than, than ever before. So I think we have grown. I think we'll be better as a result of everything that we've gone through. And I'm looking forward to more conversations where we embrace failure, where we ourselves are vulnerable about uh, the gaps within our, our office and how can we grow from from this and collaborate with other with other people who are making magic happen for kids. Yeah, two takeaways there before I go to Vicky. One, the idea of vulnerability, and I talked about it earlier. There's transparency, and this group has been just amazing. I mean, if you go back and listen to the conversations we've had, yes, we've talked a lot about some really great things that people are doing, and you've you've um, you've been confident, rightly so, about your teams and what you've done. But all of you have also talked a lot about just how hard this is um, and recognizing that and validating it is so important, not only for our students, but for teachers and for yourselves as leaders. Um, and so maybe that's a takeaway moving forward. The other thing I just wanted to mention, Lynn, is I feel like it's, I'm hearing more and more and more frequently this idea of, I don't know if it's called PD for families, but professional development, extending it to our families. Do we now have an opportunity to do that? Um, I've been talking about that with, with a lot of folks, not because I brought it up, but because they've brought it up, which I think is 
is great. Um, Vicky, I know you wanted to add something, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go to you. Yeah, so I was just really gonna echo a lot of what was said already, but you know, we also have um, extended hours. We call ours language enrichment camp. Um, you know, we use our Title Three dollars to fund the supplemental staff at schools for after hours or Saturdays. We have not started that yet because our teachers are just overwhelmed. Nobody wants to do more right now. Um, so we've had a hard time getting, because by this point, we've already you know, started our, our language enrichment camps. And that's been a little bit difficult to get off the ground right now because everyone is just so exhausted. Um, but that will come. Those opportunities will come for our students. Going back to what Juan said, you know, parent engagement is at an ultimate high for us because we've now found a better way to connect with our families. Um, usually our, e our meetings are in the evenings at a school. We're a huge district. And, you know, when you have 32,000 English language learners and you get a turnout about in the hundreds, it seems like a lot, but you're not touching everybody. Um, when we had our first ELL, ESOL parent meeting using Teams, we had almost 500 families join us. So it was so amazing that our December meeting is going to be the same way. So now we found a new venue on how to meet with families because they could stay home and be cooking dinner, be helping with homework in their PJ, whatever, but they can log on and watch us and we record them. You mentioned earlier, um, Steve, our district went with doing what we call parent university. And you can find those on our district website uh, back in August when there was this frenzy of, you know, just not knowing, the parents not knowing, we rolled out a series on parent university, one for elementary, one for secondary, one for ELL specific, and one for um, exceptional student education, one every night. Um, and we were very lucky that Good Morning America picked up on the segment and aired a whole session on just the work that we were doing. We're gonna have a, a follow-up um, in about two weeks with families again to just say, here's where we are, here's where we're going for the second half of the school year. What do you need to know? So that's been amazing. Um, we've been doing the, the tutoring in a different way. We call ours BRIA, Broward Remote, I have to read that, Broward Remote Instructional Assistant. And it's not ELL specific, it is open to all students across the district. They just go on to this site, they click a link, put in what they need help with. And um, there are teachers, support staff from the district in the background, taking the calls, working with the kids. You know, many ELLs do call in and it's a challenge for them, right? Because they have to communicate, but it's also a great opportunity for them to practice their oral language. Our ELLs can tend to fall in the shadows in this e-learning environment, right? Because they can turn off their cameras. They don't actually get called on. They're, so we're losing, we may be losing some of their um, interactions and the ability for them to practice oral language in this environment. So helping our teachers with activities to incorporate, because really practicing oral language and academic language is good for all students, not just our ELLs. So we need to make sure that there are opportunities and that our ELLs don't get, don't fall in the shadows in this e-learning environment. I know you're gonna tell me to just shut up. I'll just back. I would never do that. I would never do that. I would be in trouble if I did that from, I'm sure, not just you, but a lot of others. So I will not do that. Thank you for that contribution, Vicki. I want to go to you, Dr. Um, Johnson, really quickly. Uh, just, you know, putting a bow on this, something that you feel like has happened that you want to continue post-COVID 
um, and how we ensure that we can make that happen. Well, what I like to see continue post-COVID is exactly what's happening here today. Being able to sit on a webinar with some experts from around the country, being guided by your questions and sharing. I'm just, I'm trying to take notes as we're writing because I've learned so much from this experience. And I think seriously, that's something I would encourage all of the folks that are listening in to do in your region, in your community, in your state, wherever you can across the nation, get groups of people like this together and you just start sharing exchange. You can learn so much. You know, we're doing the Eagle check-in with our parents because of this type of communication. Great idea. So every Friday at 12 o'clock, we have a live broadcast in our little community. We call it Eagle Check-In. And then we upload it on all the different websites and platforms with all the different campuses for parents to go in and listen to later on. And it's increased our parent parental involvement. So these webinars have really been beneficial to us. The other thing I would say is I would be remiss with some of the things you said about uh, ELs and especially when it comes to leadership. Our partner university, Texas a University has been a leader in helping us develop and welcoming us into EL development programs as well as EL leadership programs that our teachers are now attending and being a, becoming a part of to become not only great teachers, but also leaders in the, in the, in the future. And the last thing I'd say, I learned a lot from hearing about the homework programs. Uh, we have that going with our partnership with AM as well, that they have a homework line. So even though we're small, if you got a good partner around you, they can not only serve you and other districts and other students all across the area. So that's my bow that I put on this right now is thank, you know, Elevation for making us a part of this. And, and one thing in closing to tie this bow, I appreciate Juan mentioning earlier, you know, other student groups. I mean, obviously our focus is EL, but we all know about other groups that are struggling just as much from the economically challenged to other minorities as well. And I'm honored to be here today to support ELs. And I appreciate people who are here that are connected personally to EL supporting other student groups as well, because we're all in this together and we have to do this together. And it makes me proud to be here because I have friends ask me, well, what are you doing on there? I love our kids and I appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this panel. And I'm honored to be representing Hearn ISD and our 160 EL students as a part of this program, because I know we care about all the students. Well, I think if anybody is still questioning that, they can just go back 30 seconds and listen to what you just said. And I think they might understand why you're on the series. So I really appreciate it and everybody else as well. Uh, that That is a good place, I think, for me to stop asking questions and for me to get some questions from uh, that have been asked in the Q&A. And I, I'll, I'll confess that my last question was going to be, are, is there anything that we haven't talked about in the series that you'd like to talk about now? So I think hopefully our audience um, will have taken care of that. Um, ben or Maya, uh, if you're on, do you want me to, you know what, I don't even know, should I go about asking those questions or do you want to do it? How do you want to do this? Steve, why don't you why don't you ask the questions? Can you see them in the Q and I can I just brought them up. All right. So let me start. Uh, let's see. Um, Stacy Sward, if I'm pronouncing your last name right, asked um, how are panelists going to address WIDA this year without a waiver? I am concerned about 95% compliance in Michigan when so many students are remote. Anybody want to take that one? I can. Um, we, we are testing, um, we actually met 
yesterday to go over the, the plans and we ran them through the task force for the school division. Um, we have been assessing students, incoming students since May. So we have um, some experience doing that and we'll contact families to see if they will, are willing to bring their student for in-person um, testing. And just like Juan was saying, uh, just making sure that we guarantee that there's safety measures in place and that we have the required PPE. But I will say that one of the conversations that we had yesterday was using our influence and the relationship we have with our families to let them know that we will do anything uh, we have to do just to make sure that their student is safe when they come in person to assess. And for those students that are going to be in person, um, they already would have been, so they'll be assessing at the school. Thanks, Lynn. I, I would ask for others, but I want to make sure I get through some of these questions. And um, if, if these questions are still lingering, feel free to, you can all feel free to email me and we'll, I'll try to get the answer from our panelists here. Um, I just put you all on the spot, but I have a feeling that's okay with you. Uh, David Dunstan asked, um, this is kind of a long question, um, but with remote learning, how do districts support teachers working with long-term L's, dual identified L's in special education, as well as newcomers or immigrant L's in U.S. public schools for three years or less? Uh, and this is echoing Vicky's comments about quarter one grades being low. Uh, I know that's a that's a difficult question and a long question. Um, anybody want to take a stab at that? I think that's definitely the spirit of that progress monitoring form that I talked about a little bit earlier. And there was a question about sharing it. So I did put my email address over there. For those of you who are interested, I'm happy to absolutely share our, our humble work with that. But what we did there, it, the question and the topic and the issue, that is very overwhelming. So I think if they're framed around how are we helping the students that have been, you know, at risk of learning for the longest time, and especially now compounded with the pandemic, that's going to be very overwhelming. So the spirit of our progress monitoring form is to really kind of pinpoint what is the area of need. Is it readiness to learn in that case that has access to devices and access to materials? And just being even present and is it classroom engagement? And we define that by participating in the Zoom meetings and Zoom classes and completing their work. Or is it really performance, meaning there's something about their language and or their content that's prohibiting them from making progress in class? So I know it's not going to answer everything, but kind of just putting those things in buckets, we can kind of identify what do we tackle first, which it cannot be an all or nothing approach. We have to start somewhere. And even though it's a chicken or the egg, do the egg first and we'll take care of the chicken later on, right? Because we got we to gotta mobilize now. We got to do some work right, right now. Great. Thanks, Rowena. Um, and I just want to quickly add... Um, we also just got our elevation uh, uh, data back at, for our progress monitoring, and it's very telling on where we can pinpoint our support. Um, so we're, I'm going to be combing through it, and then I'll be sitting with our principals and our ESL resource teachers. I want to, uh, like we said, put into uh, sort sort our needs out. What is something that we can change, and what are things that we cannot change, and then start to address the, the things that we know that we can make a difference on. Uh, if it's materials, if it's professional development, um, those are the easier things to, to address. 
Um, part, I'm working on my doctorate and, and part of my dissertation is on the long-term EL. Uh, so we're looking at um, language power. That, that's uh, something that um, teacher creative materials uh, came out with. Uh, and it, I really wanna focus on the language domain. So there's PD for our administrators, PD for our content area teachers, and also PD for our ESL teachers. We, we have to build it, it's, it's ongoing. There is no easy way to go about it. Um, there's a lot of mindset that has to be changed as well, uh, but getting the right people and uh, knowing that it's gonna be hard work, it, it just making a plan to, to address all those needs is, is gonna help. Thanks, Juan. I'm glad you chimed in there. You know, I've heard a tremendous amount about progress monitoring, and I'm I'm not just. To, I know that not all our part, not everybody on this call right now is using Elevation, and that's obviously fine. And not everybody who's listening is. But however, you're doing monitoring, you know, understanding what the content teachers are saying about these students as we go on seems to be really valuable um, for folks, especially in the light of um, of maybe not having as many assessment or as much data as we normally would this time of year. Um, Shelly Brown. Hi, Shelly. Uh, has two questions. The first one is, can you share some examples of professional learning that you are leading or facilitating with teachers? Let me, let me, um, ask anybody if they actually have any PD that they can actually share a recording of first. If the answer to that question is yes, just take yourself off mute. So ours, the ones that we have recorded, you will find them on that Canvas course that I mentioned, and the link is in the chat for you. Many of our uh, webinars have been recorded, or all of our webinars are recorded, and they are posted on our Canvas course, including webinars for SLIFE students as well and newcomers. And I've seen those, a lot of those, and they're they're really great, and Brow does a great job with that. Um, having worked with a lot of the team down there, I know that. Well, back in the days when I used to be able to travel to Broward and see people face to face, that will be fun, but that's why we're doing this now. Um, so that was your first question, Shelly. I'm going to, Lynn, did you have something to add there? No, I was going to say, um, we, we've used social media also for professional learning. So we've done Twitter chats uh, for book studies. Um, we have one tomorrow um, and I'll put the handle to our office, but that has been a, a really good way also to engage teachers. Great. Yeah, social media uh, continues to be um, quite useful for those who are on it, particularly Twitter. Uh, all right, Shelly, here's your second question. That was, what do you uh, use to progress monitor language acquisition? We have struggled to find a tool that looks at all four language domains, is valid and reliable, and is not time-consuming. Access testing once a year is just that, a snapshot once a year. So, sorry, the question was, what do you, the initial question was, what do you use to progress monitor language acquisition? So, Shelly, I would have to agree. We've been shopping for some time now for that silver bullet that's going to do that. And there's always one thing or another that's preventing us from adopting one in particular, right? Uh, but meanwhile, we know that that's a need. So in California, our language assessment is uh, LPAC. It's called LPAC. Um, and what we're doing then with teachers is just familiarizing them on those different task types. And there are various rubrics within there. So as we do professional development, we train teachers on how to use that rubric to actually design tasks and evaluate student performance based on that. So that somehow it's, you know, somehow it's aligned, you know, 
we don't view that as test prep because there's really no way to prep for something like that. They're really performance-based. Uh, but I think the more that we do that, the more it is that we are emphasizing the development of language acquisition and really training teachers to view it from that lens. Thanks, Rowena. Here's a quick question uh, from Rosemary R Richard. Uh, Lynn, what is your team's Twitter handle? Do you have that? Oh, it looks like it's, you I just do. put it in there. Yes. I, I saw, I thought you were typing. I thought I saw you typing it in. Good job, Multi. the magical stuff happening there. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, that's it for the questions. And we're at 357. Um, so I, I just, I, I want to take an opportunity just personally here and maybe selfishly to just thank all of you so much for what you've brought to the table for us um, at Elevation. I'll speak for myself. Our conversations have been nothing short of inspiring. Um, it's been great getting to know you. I know that internally our team um, has talked a lot about how inspiring these conversations have been. And of course, I've heard from others in the field um, that are either listening or watching on the docuseries um, and, and are really taking a lot from what you're bringing to the table. You have um, talked with me four or five times and all the times in between when we've had to prepare, you've taken time away from your very busy schedules at a time when it's very easy to say, I don't have the time to do this. I just hope it was as rewarding for you as it was for me and everybody else. And I'm using was, but I've told all of you that this can absolutely continue if you'd like to. I would be more than happy to continue this uh, over the course of the school year. Um, but I've joked with some of you and said our, our sort of contract period um, has, has ended because I did tell you at the end of October, but it's just been wonderful. Uh, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, I will pass it over, I think, to Maya, who will conclude this session. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Um, I echo everything that Steve said. What an excellent session. I know we've all been over here furiously taking notes um, so that we can share them with others and can't wait to share this recording with others as well. Um, so thank you for your time and thank you for your work and thank you for your continued um, patience and persistence throughout this crazy, crazy year. Uh, we, we all really appreciate it. Um, and we know that everybody who joined today and others who weren't able to join also appreciate it. Um, so other than that, I guess we'll wrap up. We are going to be sending out the recording like I shared probably next week. And thank you so much for your participation and engagement in the chat. Um, hope you're able to um, have some of those resources ready and available for you all. And any questions that do come up after this session, please feel free to share them with, um, with us at Elevation. Happy to kind of um, field those to Steve and to the speakers that you heard from today. So thank you so much, everybody. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.